Take your Bibles, if you would, tonight. We'll be reading just the last paragraph of 2 Peter, chapter 3. Pray for Pastor and Miss Jackie as they're traveling just a little bit this week. The message this morning was about continue, continue in faith, continue through persecutions, continue through false doctrine. It's a theme that we find here in this letter as well. We'll begin reading in chapter 3, verse 9. It says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, Seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. An account that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest." as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And let's pray briefly. Father, we are thankful for your word, and we do pray that your Spirit would teach us through our time in it all day today, whether in classes or services this morning, and even in our time in your word tonight. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, <clears throat> this letter is the last word of Peter. He writes these words knowing that the remaining portion of his life is quickly coming to a close. The sun is setting very quickly on his life. It's very possible that the Apostle Paul has already ended his ministry in martyrdom. And so he's writing now as a older man, knowing his time is coming to an end, and he wants to encourage people. He wants to leave them this last letter to instruct them. And he says some interesting things. It's nothing really dramatically new, but if you Look at it in verse number 13. He says, uh, in, and actually chapter 1 in verse number 13, he says, Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, 
to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. So Peter knows that using the word tabernacle as a metaphor for his physical body, that his time in his tabernacle, his time in this body is about to be put off. Very shortly, he is going to be done with this physical life here on this earth. And he knows this partly because the Lord Jesus had told him this in John chapter 21. If you remember where he's talking to Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. He says, feed my sheep. At the end of that passage, uh, Jesus will say about Peter, he says, at the end of your life, people are going to take you where you don't want to go. You're going to end your life in a martyr's death. Peter's aware of that. He's lived out his life and he's knowing somehow that that time is very soon. And so he's not going to say anything new in this particular letter, but he is, in verse 15, going to remind them of some things. And so he says it there in verse 15, Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. Peter's not a young man anymore. He looks different than he did when he was walking on the water and when he was cutting off people's ears and going through all of that. Now he's an older man. His beard is a little longer and grayer. They say, your ears never stop growing. Is that true? Can anyone verify that? His ears are a little bit bigger. And his hands, as he's writing this, are, are wrinkled and maybe have just a little bit of a, of a shake to them. And he takes the time to write this letter. And he specifically says, what I'm doing here is I want to stir you up. I want to remind you of some things that you will have to think about, have to be uh, in your mind after I die, and by God's providence and the inspiration of Scripture and, and preserving this for us, we are reminded of these things hundreds of years later, thousands of years later, and we can look and read and be encouraged in this very same way that Peter had in mind. Well, what does he remind them of? Well, he begins by reminding them that he himself is a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he serves Christ. He's never lost his uh, admiration and his trust and his desire to follow Jesus Christ. It was Peter who said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he hasn't lost sight of that at all. And he writes to those who have become in faith in Christ part of a family. They, they're individuals who've exercised faith in Christ. They've decided to follow Christ, but they're not merely individuals. They're now part of a unified group in verse number one and two and three that in Christ have received a precious faith of righteousness and a divine power that was given unto them. There's something really powerful about what it means to be part of the family of God, to have God's divine presence and divine power and his divine nature in us. And he's writing to these who have accepted Christ as their Savior. They know and they have the knowledge of Christ along with Paul. He reminds them in verses 3 and 4 that in Christ they have everything they need, everything that they'll need for life and godliness. He says, you have faith in Christ, your Savior, and so whatever may come, and he could say this thousands of years ago, he could say that today, whatever may come, you have what you need in Jesus Christ, in faith in Christ. You are righteous in Christ. As Paul would say, there's no condemnation in Christ, and uh, all things, even difficult things, can work together for good, and, and that there's nothing that will separate us from the love of Christ. He says, in Christ, you're righteous, you have that home in heaven, and that's an important 
thing to be reminded of. It's important to uh, know that, and it's, an, it's important to be encouraged in that. We sang uh, this song, I believe, last week, and I'll just read the words. Sometimes we sing and, and aren't always able to process or meditate on the words, but I think these words are very fitting with what it means to have this sufficiency in Christ. We sang the, the words, and I'll just repeat a few lines. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. No power of hell, no scheme of man can pluck me from his hand till he returns and calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. He says, you have everything you need for life and godliness. You have Christ and you have faith in Christ and you're given this nature. And he says, this divine power. And so he's encouraging them that as they're living out their life, it's really incredible what you have in Christ. And he's encouraging us to follow him in living out our life, burning it out for Christ, knowing that no matter what comes, God's power is sufficient. And then he says to uh, encourage them, he says, uh, in verse number four, whereby, knowing the knowledge of God, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so he says what you have is really valuable, in fact, precious promises from God, and he doesn't go through here and he lists them. It's just three chapters. It's not a very long letter. He doesn't take the time to spell it out. So we can imagine what he means by these great and precious promises that he is reflecting on, and Peter got the opportunity to spend time with Jesus himself, and so no doubt in my mind, uh, he is hearing He's, he's hearing the memory of these promises that Jesus himself spoke to him about. Perhaps he remembers what Jesus said in giving the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. The disciples are there listening, and he says these things. He says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And you know it, right? Lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. No matter where Peter will go, and it took him a while to, to go out and to speak to people like Cornelius and begin to give the gospel even to the Gentiles, and he, he preached boldly and the gospel began to spread, and we, he got to see that in the life of his ministry, and that promise that no matter where you go, Peter, I'll be with you. No matter where Christians go, no matter the rumblings of the fall of Jerusalem and, and some of the, the things beginning to take place there that were out of any one person's control, Peter could say, I know God's presence, Christ's presence is with me. I know that Jesus has ascended up into, he has, into heaven, but he promised the comforter would come. The comforter has come, and so God's presence is with me no matter where I go. You and I are sitting a long way away from where Peter was sitting and writing, geographically. But God's presence is with us these years later across the globe. And it's a wonderful, precious promise that Peter, no doubt, had in his mind. 
He perhaps remembered the promise that we read recently. If we're reading through the Bible reading plan that the church is uh, encouraged to go through, many of you are, that uh, God provides for our needs. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And Jesus described the ways God will provide for you as you go through your life. And Peter, no doubt, got to see that. In 1 John, it says that uh, he promises to answer our prayers. We pray according to his will. Uh, we seek his will, and God does provide. And he gives good gifts like James describes. Uh, God's promise that if we need wisdom, if we lack wisdom, we can ask of God. And he gives it liberally, and he abradeth not. He gives us the wisdom that we need when we go through trials, when we go through testing. Uh, this is a promise that, that James, who worked with Paul leading the church there in Jerusalem, uh, had written. Um, he gives us peace in Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but with prayer, let your requests be made known unto God. And, and the peace of God uh, that passes understanding will, 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 will control our minds instead of all the anxieties that so often can uh, overwhelm us. He, in Psalms chapter 46, it says that, that God is a very present help, even in times of trouble, and he's a refuge. He's a place uh, of safety. Uh, we already mentioned what Paul said in Romans chapter 8 about God's nothing can separate us from the love of God, nothing we can imagine, nothing future past, and, and uh, what Jesus said about no one being able to pluck us out of God's hand. And so there are many precious promises that we have in mind that Peter wanted to remind his his readers about as he is passing off the scene. Then what else does he remind them of? And that's kind of the purpose of the message tonight. What else does he remind them of? Well, in verse number five, he says, and besides this, giving all diligence, so besides all the promises, the divine power that's given to us, the faith we have in Christ, besides all of this, giving all diligence, Add to your faith. Add to your faith. And he gives a list of a few things that they can add to their faith. And he wants them to understand something about how they need to live out their life. Now, we may have this impression about the Christian life. It's, it's possible to have this impression. I think it's a wrong impression. I think this is what Peter's getting at. This idea that this is like uh, the Christian life is a little bit like the subway, the train you take. So I, we lived not too far from Chicago, and I got the opportunity to, to ride the subway in Manhattan and even got to see a couple rats, real rats, while I was there. It was exciting. But whether Chicago or New York, <clears throat> I've had this experience. Maybe you've had it as well. You get on the subway, and uh, it's a little confusing, you know, to know what line you're supposed to be on. You don't want to end up completely in the wrong part of the city. And so you're paying attention. You're trying to pay attention the whole time. There's always someone in that subway car who's asleep. And when I say asleep, they're completely asleep. And you wonder, you wonder how they know when they get to the right stop. Like somehow they're subconscious, they do their ride along a lot, they just, they just know how many minutes it takes, or they feel, the tracks feel different some parts than others. I don't know what it is, but there are people who are just asleep on the subway. Lest we think that the Christian life is we get on the train, and uh, somehow we just go to sleep, and we wait for the train to reach its destination, that that is what we're called to do. We, we put our faith and trust in Christ, and we know that our destination is secure. We know we have a home in heaven, but somehow the journey of the Christian life is, is going to just be 
being asleep on the train and wake me up when I get there. That isn't what Peter is describing. That's not what he's encouraging the, 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 those who are with him, have faith in Christ, and are, are following Christ. He says, I want you to use some diligence to add to your faith different things. I want you to grow. I want you to go through this life, not asleep on a train, but this is a journey. This is something that you're going to experience, and God is going to do something in you through this journey that you are going to grow, and he offers some different ways that they are uh, expected to grow. And we should grow as well. Peter had seen a lot in his lifetime. Peter knew what it was like to experience ups and downs and peaks and valleys and go on this journey. And Peter himself, in his life's experience, is calling us to follow him, to join him in these different things. Peter had seen others in their journey. He had seen someone very close to him and the other, the other apostles talk to Jesus and walk with Jesus and go out into the villages and preach and heal. He had seen Judas seemingly start well and fail miserably. He had experienced someone named Saul who uh, was just the worst possible guy you could imagine, just the thorn in the flesh of the Christian ministry. He had, uh, he had been there to, to stone Stephen, and then he saw Saul converted and become a Christian and then serve and, and, and serve the Lord faithfully. Peter himself had experienced his own ups and downs where he was uh, ready to follow Christ with, you know, charge hell with a squirt gun, and then he denied Christ, and he saw Christ restore him. And so he had gone through these different things himself as he had grown, and so he's using his last letter here to encourage and to remind and help us to grow. Well, this brings us all to the last paragraph there that we read earlier on, and in particular, the last two verses the last two verses where he really has um, maybe two statements we could say to sum up what, what, what he's ending here. He says, Ye therefore, brethren, seeing ye know these things before, beware, <clears throat> lest ye also, being led away from the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. And so he says, I want you to beware or be on guard. I want you to, as you go through the Christian life, I want you to have an awareness about, about this life. I want you to have a sober mind. I want you to understand some of the seriousness about what it means to be on this journey as a Christian. He says, there are others who've come before, and I want you to beware lest ye also, those I'm writing to, would be possibly led away by the error of the wicked, that you'd fall from your own steadfastness. I won't take a lot of time here tonight, but Peter uses this letter to warn the Christian family not only to be aware of false teachers and false doctrine, which we even spent time talking about this morning, and some who have fallen and some who we might consider as enemies to the cross of Christ or perhaps have just gotten away from uh, their steadfastness, but he says to beware lest they also be led away from their own steadfastness. Well, when a newborn is brought into the world, a baby, a baby, as it begins its life uh, as, a, as a 
you know, newborn infant into the world, it needs at least two things to thrive. It needs an immune system and it needs an appetite. And it needs both of those things. And so on one hand, uh, a baby is putting everything into its mouth that possibly can. And that doesn't change for quite a little, quite a while. And so uh, it's good. It's very important that a baby, right, desire the sincere milk of the word that you can grow thereby. And so babies are eating. They have an appetite. That's all great. They begin to, to thrive and to grow. And along with that, it's also very important that a baby begins to develop a good immune system. If they're going to be putting everything in sight in their mouth, it's important that they're beginning, and some of that isn't bad, right? They're being exposed to some things, and so I'm a big advocate of letting them just eat dirt and crawl around in the restaurant floors and all of that. That's, that's all great. But uh, they need to develop an immune system as they are exposed to different things out there in the world. And we also need to be be thinking people, be growing people, giving diligence to what God is teaching us through His Word and allowing the Scripture and the Holy Spirit to be a filter as we journey through this Christian life and that we're growing. And so doctrinally, we need to be careful. And then in practice, because it seems like Peter is saying, I want you not only to be careful about false teachers, but I want you to be careful lest you be pulled away and you fall from your own steadfastness. James has something similar to say in terms of warning. He says this in James chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Draw nigh to God, and he will dry nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. He says, James, I want, to take, I want you to take your life journey seriously. And, and I want you to draw nigh to the Lord. I want you to draw close to the Lord. He'll draw nigh to you. And I want you to be humble. I don't want you to get so lifted up in pride or that, that, that you're asleep, that, that you, get, you, get pulled, you get pulled away. Let's not forget that we have our hope in Jesus, that we have our righteousness in Him. And let us not get so full of ourselves, self-confident, or whatever the case may be, that we can fall. Pride goeth before the fall, right? The haughty spirit uh, leads to destruction. Who was it? Peter was only so well aware that seemed to be the most distant, the most resistant to Christ and the, and, and the message of Christ. Well, it seems like it was the Pharisees. It seems like it was the, those who were uh, in, in that time, the most religious, the ones who seemed to be the most close to God in their own way as they were meticulous about following certain parts of the law at least. It's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus will tell a parable. He'll tell a parable for the benefit of the Pharisees, and he'll tell it about a, a father who had two sons, and one son goes off into the world and has a terrible experience. He wastes all the money. He comes to the end of himself. It's just awful, but then he repents. He comes back to the Father. The Father embraces him. And he ends that whole parable with a little bit of a, an unresolved tension. The older brother won't come into the party. The older brother's having a hard time showing any sort of forgiveness to, to the younger brother. And he's out there in the field, and he hasn't yet come and joined the father. He hasn't yet joined the son. There's something about his pride at this point that is keeping him distant from the father and distant from the son. And so Peter understood that about the Pharisees. And so we need to be careful, 
lest we live an empty life, the empty life of the prodigal or the, the pride of the older brother. Our hope is in Jesus, and this was Jesus. He was humble, he was a servant, he was steadfast, and we follow him. And so he says, be on guard, be aware of, of this possibility. There are real dangers out there. But, but then he says this, he says, grow in grace, grow in grace. And this we have there in verse number 18. And this really is his last word, isn't it? It's the last sentence there, the last two sentences. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Peter was a good example of someone who grew, who grew in grace. And we get to watch him grow throughout his life. In some ways, at least when he was younger, he was a man of contradiction. There were things about his impulses that as we watch them, we see good and we see, we see bad. It was Peter who walked on the water and he drew his sword and cut off Malchus's ear and he got into some things that uh, he didn't know how to get out of. And it was also Peter who was the quickest to respond when there was questions about who Jesus was, he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was Peter who denied Christ when the, when the moment got real and Peter was afraid for his life and they were identifying him as someone who was associated with Jesus when Jesus was on trial and was about to be crucified. Peter was the one who said, I, I don't know anything about that guy. I have nothing to do with him. He denied Jesus. But then it was Jesus who, after the resurrection, would find Peter, and he would say to Peter, Peter, do you love me? What was Peter's answer? Yes, I do love you. And then Jesus would say, and Jesus knew his heart, he'd say, okay, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And what did Peter do? He, he fed his sheep. He encouraged his brothers. He helped preach. I mean, he preached one of the great sermons in, in the book of Acts. And, 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 and we saw it with great boldness and great maturity and great faithfulness. And we see that here in chapter in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. These letters, he writes a, a picture of someone who's faithful and mature. He grew. He exemplified what we read about in verse number 5. And so if you go back there. Let's read through this list a little bit more. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound they make you that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our, Lord in, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, if you have faith in Christ and you add to your faith these things with the power of God and with the promises that he's already provided for us, he says, you'll grow. And if you do grow, God, you'll, you'll, you'll be thriving. You will abound. And so grow. The Christian life is not a train that we get on and we can fall asleep and we arrive at our destination. At least that's not the intention. The intention is that we're on a journey with peaks and valleys and ups and downs and turns and detours, but God's presence is with us. He's leading us, and through the process, we grow. Be on guard and grow. Well, it's a new year. 
It's 2024, and it's a time for reflection. It's probably good to do this periodically. I'm not sure if the annual time to do it is the, the time everyone needs to follow, but it's a time where we might be encouraged to reflect and look ahead. How do you need to grow this year? How do I need to grow? Do I need to be intentional about growing? Do I need to give all diligence to grow? We know we're to grow in grace. We know we're to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to follow Him. We're not supposed to go find ourselves in a place where we are so holy that we're haughty, right? We're like a Pharisee. That's, that's not the goal. Our goal is to be like Jesus, who uh, although He had a pattern of sinlessness and we follow Him in that way, He, he was also a servant. And so... We, we follow Him as we journey through this life. Be on guard and grow. What, what part of the journey is God going to take you on this year? Well, let's look at that list just briefly, and we'll be done. Add to your faith. Of course, the most important thing is that you have actually put your faith, that you're trusting in what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. You know, the Jews had a problem. Paul will say, they, they went about establishing their own righteousness, and there's a tendency to do that. There's a tendency to uh, trust in my own record, to defend ourselves uh, when, when, it, when we're really called on the carpet, and it's more difficult for us to just say, I was, I was wrong. Jesus said, I would like to take your sin and give you my righteousness. I have lived a life that, that is an example to you to live, but you haven't lived, and I laid down my life on the cross, and my blood was shed, and you can have my righteousness. I'll take the wrath of God on your behalf, and God's justice will be satisfied. And it's important for us to, to, to let go of ourselves, to trust in Christ, and to have eternal life that comes through faith in Christ. And then we're to add to our faith. We're going to continue in our faith, but we're to add to our faith virtue. Virtue is the idea of exercising the courage to do what you know is good to do. There's a certain, certain moral courage that goes along with, with virtue. Maybe it would be helpful to write down the things on a notebook, maybe the one that we have. What, what do I know to do that I'm, that I'm not doing? What are the things that I'm anxious about, that I need to give to the Lord. I need to write them down, and then you can put in your calendar or your digital calendar or your reminders to come revisit that. Give it to the Lord in prayer, and then come back in a month and 30 days or 60 days and, and see what God has done in those areas of those anxieties that you've given to the Lord. But to be intentional, not to just kind of float through life, but to give diligence, to grow. What is it that you know to do that you're not doing, that you need to exercise courage in? What about knowledge? Making the effort to learn, and God will teach us. He'll give us wisdom. Making an effort to learn the things that we need to know, that we don't know. It's one thing to not do what we know to do, but there are sometimes we come up to things, I need to learn more. I need to learn more about this particular area or this in Scripture. Then uh, there's opportunities certainly to do that at the church and others to, to reach out to, but it's important for us to be growing in knowledge, to be diligent about that. 
What about temperance? Learning to say no to things that aren't helpful and only saying yes to things that are helpful. So many times our life can just get filled with things that don't really help us to grow. They just fill up time, and our journey isn't that long. And so it's important, I would, I would say, Peter would say, as he's ending his life, to make sure that temperance is reflected in the way you're living your life. What about patience? Trusting God's sovereignty and the things one cannot control and being faithful with everything that I can control. Many times we allow anxieties to just sort of be this low background of dread about all sorts of things, some of which we can't do anything about. And we need to know that there's a God who's in control, who can control these things, and we can take our cares and give them back to the Lord. And that allows us to be faithful with the things that God has given us in our realm of influence. What about godliness? Where I worship God in such a way where lesser things lose their attractiveness, where I have a true appetite for the things of God, and that's reflected in the way I live my life. What about brotherly kindness? This one can be difficult. I have five brothers. Lest we, you know, say, okay, I'm going to be godly. I'm going to go be a monk, shave my head, and... Uh, Go live in a monastery somewhere and, you know, just be separated from everybody. No, Peter's saying, I want you to learn to love your brothers. I want you to learn to love the people around you. I want you to learn to be kind to them. I want you to be a real friend to real people when they have warts and all. I want you to, to learn to, to grow together with others. And this happens wonderfully in, in marriage and in families and in church families and in communities. And I'm thankful to be a part of one of those. And then lastly, charity. Learning to love people like Jesus did. Jesus loved the unlovely. That's the verse that someone quoted, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus would touch a leper. He would talk to a woman who was um, caught in adultery. He would, he would talk to the Samaritan woman at a well. He, he would love people, in particular people who really couldn't do anything for, for him, but he would love them and love them for their own sake and reach out to them and invite them, if they would, to follow him. Uh, a while back, speaking about love, uh, a while back there was a men's breakfast and I, I mentioned something about uh, the Fiddler on the Roof, one of the Broadway musicals. Well, I have another musical reference here. Um, growing up, we, our family, my mom in particular, loved the sound of music. And she loved it because she, when she was a baby, she was an immigrant and came through to America. And that was kind of the story of the Von Tropp family as well. And so there's a whole musical about it. You can go watch it. But... Um, Interestingly enough, I, I didn't know too much about it, but Rodgers and Hammerstein wrote the music and, and things for the, for the musical. Uh, but as The Sound of Music was getting ready to go, uh, being put together and on, and on Broadway, uh, Oscar Hammerstein uh, developed cancer, and he died shortly after he had, he had developed cancer. So as I, my understanding is he never got to see the, the Sound of Music, even though he played a very instrumental part in it. Well, one of the actors who was later going to play in that particular musical was Mary Martin. She was a Broadway music actress. And um, Oscar Hammerstein, she was playing in a, different, in a different 
Broadway show, he, on his deathbed, wrote her a note, and it just had a, a few lines on it, and uh, he gave this to her, and it was his intention. I heard his grandson, I believe it was, Andy Hammerstein, tell the story. It was his intention. He said, I want you to include this in The Sound of Music, this line, and, uh, but this is all it said. Dear Mary, a bell's not a bell till you ring it. A song's not a song till you sing it. Love in your heart is not put there to stay. Love isn't love till you give it away. Well, it's all very romantic or whatever, and that's how they kind of put it in at the end of the sound of music. But there is a profound truth to that, that a bell isn't a bell till you ring it. And our faith, we have our faith, and it's real and it's meaningful, but we're to add to our faith. We're to live out our faith. And until we actually love someone, we're not fulfilling out all that we have in Christ, our promises we have in Christ, the presence we have in Christ, the nature we have in Christ, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need to put these things into action. We need to love. So when Peter is on his deathbed, as it were, I think he's healthy enough and he's just going to die as a martyr, but he writes these words. He's saying this. He says, be on guard. Don't be like some who had got pulled away and had, 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 had fallen away. And, and maybe he has Judas in mind. Judas obviously never did trust Christ. There was great problems there. But he had some in mind, no doubt, and, and he was encouraging them to be on guard. And then he tells them to grow. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Jesus Christ. As you journey through life, learn. Be diligent to learn. Be intentional about learning. If you grow in these areas, if you add to your faith virtue and you put these things into practice, God's going to teach you remarkable things and accomplish in your life whatever God's plan is for you. It might not be the life of Peter. In fact, Peter was going to be a martyr, and they were all wondering what was going to happen to John, right? If Peter's going to be a martyr, what about John? And what was Jesus' answer? You worry about you, And that's what Jesus is calling us to do as well. We're not on a train to be asleep and to somehow magically awake at that new heaven and new earth. We will, and we look forward to that. But as we journey, let's make sure we're diligent to add to our faith. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word and for the encouragement of uh, just a letter like this. And I do pray, Lord, that you'd help us to grow. We are all at different parts of our journey. Each of our families looks different. Each of our personalities is a little different. But we share, if we have faith in Christ, we share your nature. We share the presence of the Spirit. We have these promises of your presence, of your provision, the availability of your wisdom. And we have the same Bible. Lord, help us to, in our own lives, be intentional about growing in grace and being a bit on guard for the things that might distract us and lead us astray. Lord, I pray if there is anyone here who has not yet given up on themselves, let go and place their hope and trust in you that they might do that, that they might be a part of your family. And then, Lord, that we all might be encouraged to to allow this journey that we're on 
as we look forward to your coming, um, as we look forward to the new heaven and the new earth, that we're just faithful to grow in the process. And we know that you're glorified in our desire uh, to grow. We pray that you just work in our hearts and lives to do that. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.